All right, Jamal, say good morning. Good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors for this morning share to thank our Tamu Torah sponsor for the month of Teves. Mrs. Salma Wolf for dedicating all of the Sherman Drushals this month with immense gratitude for the refuos from our Kaddish Baruch Hu and the merit of our refuos for all of those in need, the schus of our brave soldiers and the schus of the return of all of our hostages. Our week of learning sponsors, Chazen Mark Childs of Santa Barbara, California, in appreciation for the Dafyomi and in the schus of refuos for Binyamin Yankel Ben Bela. And of course, as a shir, we dedicate Meseches Babakamo, Le'ilu Nishmas Master Sergeant Ilyomi Chol Harush Hashem Yikom Damo, in the schus of our learning, Me'akadosh Baruch Hu, providing Aliyah for his neshama and a nechama for his family. Well, so with that, let us begin. Today's daf is Memtes 49, and we are picking up Emeritz Hashem on Memches. 48B, 48B, and we're picking up 13 lines up from the bottom. So we got oh so close to finishing the Sogya yesterday, but Amir Hashem, we will complete it today with some really interesting halachalamaisa as well. So remember, again, we left off actually with a contradiction between Brysus. So we'll say, after, after this entire exciting journey, we've now kind of circled back to the core and fundamental machlokis in Mishnah, which is the machlokis of Tinder Rabbanon and Rebbe. Namely, do, what does permission pr- to enter mean assumption of responsibility as well? That's our fundamental machlokis. The Rabbanon say, when Shimon gives Ruvain the right to go and enter into his chatzar, what Shimon is doing is not only giving Ruvain the right of entry, but Shimon is assuming all responsibility to protect Ruvain from any type of damage. Rebbe says, absolutely not. Permission to enter means just that. Permission to enter without assumption of responsibility and liability. The only time you assume responsibility for the other is if you explicitly articulate that. So says the Gemara. So let's pick up. Amr Tavra. Misha Shonazulo Shonazulo. Short of contradiction in Bryce. Rabbalah says, you're right. You're right. Two different opinions. Rava Amr Kula Rabbanon. Rava says, no. The entire Bryce is Rabbanon. I did the nas of Reisha Shamru. Oh, sorry, the entire Mishnah. I did the nas of Reisha Shamru. Tana Seifa Shamru. And again, essentially, there's Mishnahic symmetry. Since the beginning of the Mishnah, ultimately used Lashon of Shamru, of guarding. Therefore, again, the Seifa uses the same Lashon. Tana Seifa va'ani Eshmeranera. Papa, Papa says, Kula Rebihi. The entire Mishnah reflects the view of Rebbe. For several of Rebbe Tarfan, and Rebbe in fact holds the Rebbe Tarfan. What does Rebbe Tarfan say? The Amar. Karen Nizik Nezek Shalim Mishalim. This is the famous position of Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan holds that, interestingly enough, that as much as normally Karen Tam pays Chatsi Nezek, Karen Tam, which occurs in the domain of the damaged party, you pay Nezek Shalim. Therefore, Amrulay Shamru, Amrulay Shamru. If, if ultimately, again, Rabbi says to Shimon, watch your stuff. So lamakni leimakom bechatzer. That means Shimon is not conveying any use of his chatzer over to Ruvain. And therefore, again, any damage becomes karen in the property of the damaged party. And ultimately, again, the halachas of Karen that you pay complete damages for karen bechatzer hanizak. To which the Gemara says, Lo But if Shimon doesn't say to Ruvain, watch your stuff. Therefore, again, that means that Shimon is assuming responsibility. Shimon is conveying ownership, or not ownership, but usage of part of the chatzar over to Ruvain. And therefore, again, it becomes like a chatzar that belongs to partners. 
And any karen that is done in jointly owned property, the only only pays chasinezek. So the point of here, I will say, is you could interpret the mission as reflecting both opinions. So bottom line, halacha lemaisa, who do we paskin like? Because I will say, as I mentioned in yesterday's shir, this is a big this is a big issue. Ruvain gives Shimon permission, sorry, Shimon gives Ruvain permission to enter into his chazer with his shar. So Ruvain brings his shar into Shimon's chazer, ultimately again, with Shimon's permission. The shar does damage, or the shar is damaged, right? What One of the two. Ultimately, again, who is liable? Who is liable? Duh, do we paskin like the Rabbanon? That permission to enter means that Shimon is assuming responsibility. Or do we paskin like Rebbe? Permission to enter does not mean assumption of responsibility. So I will say, here it is. The long-awaited, much-anticipated halacha l'maysa. So the Rabban Paskin is in Hilchos Niske Mamen. Perek Gimel Halacha. It's really Halachas Yud Gimel and Yud Dalet. But listen to this. He brings down all the cases. Hakedar Hakadar Shehichnis. Actually, let's, you know what, let's actually, uh, let me actually illustrate it in the next case. Remember again, Reuben brings his paths into the domain of Shimon. Okay, now what happens? So again, the Rambam goes through the cases. Shalobishos, if Reuben just brought them in and he did not have permission to bring them in. So Reuben doesn't have permission to bring in his paths. Shimon's animal, Shimon's shark, tramples the paths and breaks them. What's the so the truth is, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. Obviously, again, Shimon is not liable. Ruben's trespassing. What happens again, if Shimon's animal trips over the utensil and falls and breaks its leg, right? Then what's talacha? Ruben's chayir. That's the easy case. Why is that the easy case? Why? That's shalom right? Any time that you're bringing your property into someone else's property without their permission, Ruvain's bringing his pots into Shimon's property without Shimon's permission, right? And the pots are broken, or the pots cause damage, right? Obviously, if the pots are broken, Shimon's not chayef for that. What are, you, what are you doing in my property? And if Shimon's animal is damaged on Ruvain's pots, then of course, Ruvain's going to be liable, because again, what are you doing there? That, that's the easy case. Now watch this. What happens, what happens if... Shimon gave Ruvain Rishos. Shimon said, sure, you could bring your stuff into my property. So the Ramban Paskins, the Ramban Paskins, Potter. Now, Potter means what? Potter means that, Potter means that Halacha if Shimon's animal were to be damaged on Ruvain's property, let's say again, Shimon Shar were to trip over Ruvain's, Ruvain's pot, then obviously in that case, Ruvain would be Potter. Right? Why is Ruvain Potter? Because he has permission to go ahead and bring in the utensils. Now, both say, now the Shaila is, that's fine, but still, what's the outline case? What's the outline case? What happens if Ruvain's animal does damage, to, sorry, if Shimon's animal does damage to Ruvain's pots when he's brought them in with permission? Is there liability? So it's interesting. The Ramam says as us, Vim kibel alov balabayis lishmar sakaderos balabayis chayiv. If Shimon, explicitly stated that he is willing to accept responsibility to safeguard the utensils, and then something happens to the utensils, then what? Then Shimon will be chayif. Or Abos has stated otherwise, the Rambam Paskins like Rebbe. This is riveting, fascinating. Namely what? 
When Shimon gives permission to Ruvain to bring stuff into his property, into his chatzar, what, what is that? What is that? That's permission, but enter at your own risk. Enter at your own risk. I, I, I take no responsibility for what happens to your stuff when you come into my chatzar. If Shimon were to say, come into my chatzar, and ultimately, again, I promise you that your stuff is going to be safe, then, then, Shimon has assumed responsibility. But stam, permission to enter, does not mean assumption of responsibility. So ultimately, again, the Rambam Paskins like Rebbe. So a really, a really fascinating idea. So, so remember again, going back, going back to our case, yes, remember again how we illustrated this? This, this is very Lamaisa, right? Someone goes ahead, someone goes ahead and I invite someone over to my, to my house for lunch, right? And of course, you know, I have, I have my dog, Zoe, I'm going to call Zoe just for, just for illustration's sake. Just for illustration's sake, Zoe. Right? So, right, Zoe's very friendly, always very excited. She's wonderful with Hachnosas Archim and Mamish. Like, she just, especially, right, she just she has such Avas Yisrael that she, right, she jumps on everyone and literally, again, you know, slobbers on Ruven's suit. Now, Ruven has a dry cleaning bill. Technically speaking, technically speaking, Halacha I, the Balabas, don't have a responsibility to, to pay for that dry cleaning. Now again, you want to ask what's the right thing to do? The right thing to do is whenever you cause someone damage or someone is damaged on your property, ultimately again, there may be a din uh, of taking care of them. But Lamaisa, the Rambam Haskins like Rebbe, which is really quite interesting. Salah Lamaisa, permission to enter, means just that permission to enter and does not mean assumption of responsibility. Incredible. Okay, let's go to the Mishnah. Shar This is an interesting case. If you have a shar that you could tell was ready to do damage. Right? In other words, the shar was clearly bent on doing damage. So it was going to, let's say, let's say again, it's my shar. Well, let's call it Ruven shar. And Ruven Shur was charging towards Shimon to go ahead and gore Shimon. And what happened? And instead, the Shur ends up injuring a woman and she miscarries. And she miscarries. So what's the halacha? Potter midmevalados. Ultimately, the owner of the Shur doesn't, the owner of the Shur has to pay for the damages to the woman. But there are no what we call the mevalados. So we'll say, now remember again, we, we mentioned this before already, but this halacha is talking about the concept of the Torah talking about when two people fight, right? And let's say again, in the court, Ruben and Shimon are fighting with each other. In the course of fighting with each other, Ruben accidentally injures a pregnant woman and she miscarries as a result of the injury. So there's a halacha that says that the, the aggressor, Ruvain, has to go ahead and pay to the husband of the woman the value of the pregnancy. Again, we're going to discuss that in greater depth. The point that the Mishnah is making is that is only a din in people, not a din in Shivarim. So therefore, again, if Ruvain's shar was ready to chose charging at Shimon and a pregnant woman, Rahman got in the way and she was injured and she miscarried, there's no Dmei Velados. There's no payment for the value of the offspring, for the value of the fetus, value of the pregnancy paid to the husband of the injured woman because it's a shar. That's what, that's what the Mishnah teach me. That din doesn't apply to a shar. But if Reuven and Shimon are fighting, and Reuven needs to, to, to hit Shimon, and he ends up accidentally hitting a pregnant woman, and she miscarries, in that case, Reuven will be liable ultimately again for the value of the pregnancy. So we'll say, how do you assess the value of a pregnancy? It's very simple. 
Achilo Yolda, Bekame Hiyafa, Mishi Yolda. It's very simple. We look at the value of a pregnant woman, right? Now, the Mishnah is presupposing that the value of a pregnant woman is higher than the value of a non-pregnant woman, right? And now, again, the value, the, the value of the pregnant woman is increased from the perspective of the Mishnah for two purposes. Number one, because a pregnant woman will be physically larger. So the Gemara ascribes some level of heightened value to just the increased mass, plus, plus, there's the value of the offspring, right? Again, she's going to go ahead and have, right, and have a child. So therefore, again, we look at that value, we look at that value, plus, right, and we compare that to the value of a woman who's not pregnant. And obviously, whenever you see about values of people, we're obviously talking about, again, if they were sold as a servant. If they were sold as a servant. So a person purchasing a, a female servant who is pregnant, obviously, again, represents, represents, right, an increased workforce, because ultimately, again, the... The offspring is also going to be a servant. So we look at, again, value of a pregnant woman versus the value of a woman who's not pregnant. And what's that, right? And that difference, that difference, so to speak, is the value of the fetus. So the Gemara says, So, so, so literally, again, Rabbi statement is not immediately clear. He says, if that's the case, when a woman gives birth, she's worth more money. So we're not clear exactly what it is that he's saying. We'll see in the Gemara. Ela shamanes havlados kamehein yofin. Benosin about. So Rabbi seems to say is that halacha lamaisa. We go ahead and we somehow evaluate the value of the offspring of the fetus independent of the mother. We'll see exactly how we do that. And remember, again, I both say this this payment is given to the husband. Now, why is it given to the husband? So I say this is exeris hakasim. Torah says. We give the Mevalodos, the value of the offspring, we give it up to the husband. So what happens if there's no husband? Let's say the husband died. So then what's the No sin the Yarshav. Ultimately, again, we give this payment to the to the heirs of the husband. Pater, sorry. Let's say again, the woman in question was a maidservant who became emancipated or a convert. Now, so we're going to see what these cases mean is these are people, these are people maybe in a case where the husband died, there may be no heirs. No heirs. So in a case like this where there's no husband and there's no heirs to the husband, then what's the halacha? Ultimately, again, the perpetrator is potter from paying this amount. Okay, we'll, we'll discuss all these cases in greater depth. So we'll say, let's analyze. Says the Gemara. We'll say, remember again, first case in the Mishnah was, Reuven has an ox. The ox was charging towards Shimon. Was charging towards Shimon, but unfortunately, again, it ends up injuring a pregnant woman instead, causes her to miscarry, causes her to miscarry. So, therefore, the Mishnah says that halacha the Mishnah says that ultimately, Ruvain, the owner of the ox, is potter, is potter from, from Dmei Velados. Again, I just want to point out, but remember again, just to point out over here, and the Gemara is going to explicitly say this in just a moment, there's two buckets of damages when you damage a pregnant woman, right? There's typical damages. Whatever typical damages are of a person, right? We have boshes, pagam, sheves, ripoy, shai, all these different things is damages. In addition to all of those basic damages, there's also the concept of dnevalados, of the value of the lost pregnancy. Damages normally go to, like, to the victim herself. It happens to me, dnevalados, that value of the pregnancy, Torah gives that, that payment to the husband. So again, the Mishnah over here is not talking about damages. The Mishnah over here is talking about Dmevalodos. So therefore, again, the Mishnah says, Ruvain's ox is charging towards Shimon's ox, or Shimon himself, 
right? Pregnant woman gets in the way, she gets injured, miscarries. Ruvain doesn't, Ruvain, the owner of the ox, doesn't have to pay Dimei Valados, the value of the, of the miscarried, of the miscarried pregnancy. So he says, Taima, the miscarried Chavero. So it sounds like the reason why Reuben doesn't have to pay is because his ox was really aiming for Shimon. So the Mishnah says, It sounds like that if Reuben's ox was purposely charging towards the pregnant woman and injured her and she miscarried, that she would pay. That, or that he would pay, that Reuben would pay. So So this would seem to refute the position of Avadabarabba. What does Avadabarabba say? The ultimate Avadabar Ava says that even if a shar goes ahead and intentionally injures a pregnant woman, you still don't pay the Mevalados, says the Gimara. Amar Lachar Avadabar Ava, who had in in reality, even if the shore purposely targeted the pregnant woman, at the end of the day, the owner of the shore is exempt from paying for the value of the lost pregnancy. So why did it go ahead and mention it? Why did it frame the case as a shard that was ready to go or another shard, but the pregnant woman got in the way? So the Gemara says, I did the kabai, the misna seifa, so says, the Mishnah just wanted to preserve symmetry, textual symmetry. So it stated the case is the same way. Really, the second case in the Mishnah, which is the paradigmatic biblical case, right? Ruvain is fighting with Shimon. Ruvain is fighting with Shimon. And then what happens? And then what happens? He means to go ahead and hit Shimon. Instead, he hits a pregnant woman. She miscarries. That's the, that's the biblically paradigmatic case. So the Mishnah wants to align the Reisha in the same way. A shar means to gore another shar, but instead it gores a pregnant woman. And I will say, but the truth is, it's important to understand, a shar, the owner of a shar, is never responsible for the value of the miscarriage, what we call the mevalados. That's just the way the halacha is, is that our, the shor will be responsible for damages, but not demei valados. The concept of paying for the value of the lost pregnancy, that is only a halacha in interpersonal damage, is not halacha that applies in the case of a shor that damages. It's not a din in shor amaz. Okay, so we'll say that's our first fact for today. Well, not our first fact. First fact in this Mishnah. Omra Papa, interesting case. Shar, if an ox, right? Ruben's ox gores a shifcha. And I will say, shifcha is a shifcha kinanis, a non Jewish maidservant. And she miscarries. In that case, the owner of the shar will pay the value of the miscarriage. My taima, chamarta ma'abarta ba'alma. Because ultimately, again, the shifcha kinanis, she's like a pregnant donkey. Now, what, 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 is, what does that mean? What does that mean? So also we've seen this before, that in halacha, the way that an Ebed Kinani is looked at is as property. Is as property. So I will say, so because of that, so therefore again, so chamarta ma'abarta ba'ama hu da'azik, amrikra, so I will say, again, where do we get this from? Shvulachem poima chamar im hadoma By the Akedah, Avram Avinu says to Eliezer, or says to Yishmael, stay here with the Chamar. Who's the Chamar? The Chamar is a reference ultimately again to Eliezer, who was an Eved Kenani, Im Chamar, with he who resembles a donkey. Nebo says, so again, remember, not meant to be a disparaging statement, meant to be a technical halachic statement. 
that ultimately, again, Evet Kanani has a din of property. So therefore, technically speaking, although we just got finished saying that halacha lamaisa, if a shar gores a pregnant woman, there's damages, but there's no demevalados. You don't pay the value of the miscarriage because that's only a din in interpersonal, in interpersonal damage. The exception to this rule will be a shar who damages a pregnant shifcha. In that case, that she has the status of one animal, so to speak, damaging another animal, another piece of property, and therefore you would pay Dinevalados. Okay? Kate Samashan Dinevalados. So we'll say, so now first, end of the first wide line. So remember again, we'll say, how do you assess the value ultimately again of the pregnancy? So the Mishnah seemed to indicate that we look at the value of a pregnant woman versus the value of a woman who's not pregnant, and the difference between those amounts, that's the value of the pregnancy. So the Gemara says as follows: Case Moshe and Demei Vlados. So Demei Vlados, Shevach Vlados Mi Boyle. So I was saying. So the truth is, the Gemara says it's not really. It's not really just simply the value of the fetus. Remember again, Abosai, as I mentioned before, pregnancy brings a general appreciation, right? An appreciation in the value of the woman in her totality. Look at Rashi for just a moment. Demei Vlados, Shevach Vlados, who Diktani Shamin Es Aisha. Interesting. makes it sound like all we're talking about is the value of the fetus itself. But remember, as mentioned, as mentioned before, I was like, remember, it sounds strange like to talk like this, but when a woman becomes pregnant, she's larger, right? As a result of being larger, ultimately, again, there's more value. Again, we're looking at this ju- ju- just as just as value, right? So the demei velados is not just is not just the value of the fetus, right? But lamaisa again, the, there's also an increased value because the mass of the woman is greater. So ultimately, again, so we were just saying your term of demei velados seems to be limiting. Shouldn't just mean demei velados; it should be shevach velados, the increase in total value. Sigmar says, you're right, what we need to say is like this, how do we assess, ultimately again, the value of the fetus, that's the mevelados, and shevach velados, and the additional appreciation in the value of a woman, we look at the value of a woman as, right, her value when she's pregnant, before she's given birth. And ultimately, again, her value after she would give birth. says We take into account both of these, so to speak, these buckets of appreciation, both the value of the fetus itself, as well as the increase of value, because now the woman herself is larger. Says, so I'll say, so now remember again, Rav Shemuel made this, made this strange and cryptic statement in the Mishnah. He says, if that's the case when a woman gives birth, she's worth more. So the Gemara says, my ka'amar, what is Rav Shemuel saying? Amar Rabah, what means to say? So Rav Shemuel says, I don't understand. You guys are assuming that a pregnant woman has a higher value than a non-pregnant woman. Right? Mishnah says, that's not true. Mishnah it's actually interesting. Mishnah posits, he says, that a pregnant woman is worth less. 
Now both say, now why is a pregnant worth, woman worth less? So it's interesting. So I would have thought the reason for it is because remember both say, all of these values are looked at through the lens of what? Lens of what? Servitude. Servitude. So right, I would have thought that, so Rabbi Shulman raised an interesting point. He says, a pregnant woman is in constant sakana. I know, as I was say, a pregnant woman, remember, pregnancy in general, a pregnant woman is considered, in, in halacha, a pregnant woman is considered to be a chola shiyesh ba sakana. She's considered to be a, a, a woman who is ill, who is in mortal danger. So Rabbi says, that's not an appreciation of value. A woman who's not pregnant, a woman who's not pregnant, I will say, again, it's just a regular person. A regular person, by definition, you know, essentially what Rabbi saying is, it's going to sound strange, but like, a pregnant woman is a woman with a health issue. It's a woman with a health issue. So because she's a woman with a health issue, why is everybody assuming that she's worth more? I think just the opposite. A pregnant woman is worth less, right, than ultimately, again, a non-pregnant woman. So the Gemara says, So therefore, again, I will say, Take a look at Rashi. Rashi says over there, In reality, Rashi says when a woman is pregnant, her value is less. For if she's going to be sold, so to speak. There's a sakana that she could die in childbirth. And by the way, it's not just die in childbirth. It's a whole variety of different complications that could occur because of pregnancy. So what is interesting? So whereas the Tanakhama says, remember again, the Mishnah is trying to figure out, here, here's what we know about, say, right? Ruvain is, is getting in a fight with Shimon, and Ruvain goes ahead and instead injures, injures a pregnant woman. She miscarries. So what's Talacha? So now Ruvain is obligated to pay the value of the lost pregnancy to Shimon. So how do you evaluate the lost pregnancy? So the Tanakhama says, it's simple. A pregnant woman is worth X, right? And a non-pregnant woman is worth X minus Y. So that difference, that difference is the amount you pay. Rabbi Shukumil argues on the very premise. He says, Tanakama, you're assuming a pregnant woman is worth more than a non-pregnant woman. So, so, so Rabbi Shukumil says, that is not true. A pregnant woman is actually worth less than a pregnant woman. So therefore, how do you assess damages? We look just simply at the value of the Uber. A fetus, a fetus, has a value, right? I guess like a future value. Like some, somebody would buy, right? If a person was pregnant and they were, let's say a servant was pregnant, or now, right, there, there'd be a value to that fetus. We look at the value of the fetus, and ultimately, again, that's the amount you have to pay to the husband. Okay? Says the Gibara. Tanya Mechab Rice, that's the force of the Isha. Mishabach is called him Shatel Yosem Mishach Shatel. So, what the Brice says, Pshingumil says, is a woman worth more when she's pregnant than when she's not pregnant? Follow Isha Mishabach is the Acha Shatel. Yosem is called him Shatel. A non pregnant woman is worth more than a pregnant woman. Ella, Shamanes Havla, those who know So, both says, therefore, again, what we do is we look at the value of the fetus. We look at the value of the fetus. And ultimately, again, we pay that to the husband. So, both say, everyone. So, Here's what's interesting. Everyone is agreeing that when you injure a pregnant woman and she miscarries, you have to pay the value of the lost pregnancy to the husband. The shaila is, how do you value a lost pregnancy? Tanakama, we look at the difference between a pregnant woman and an unpregnant woman, presupposing that a pregnant woman is worth more. And therefore, again, that difference is what you pay. No, because a pregnant woman is worth less than a pregnant woman. So therefore, we just simply assess the value of the fetus itself. 
Incredible. Rav Amar Rav says, Hachi Katani. This is what it needs to say. V'chi isha l'nishi oledes m'shabachas v'yini atzma b'shevach v'lodos klub. So I'll say, Rav has a different interpretation. Rav says, Rav Shikun Lil saying is like this. Saying is like this. That at the end of the day, is the appreciation of a pregnant woman only in the pregnancy and only for her husband? What about the general appreciation that a pregnant woman has? We just spoke about this before, just in the fact that there's, there's more of her, right? So because there's more of her, ultimately, again, there's a more general appreciation as well, and doesn't that belong to her? So the said, is the appreciation of a pregnant woman only for her husband? The only doesn't she share in that appreciation as well? So this is interesting. So Rav is a different approach. Rav says, there's two different pockets of appreciation. There's the value of the fetus, right? And the value of the fetus, that goes to the husband. But then I will say also there's the appreciation that she has physically independent of the fetus. In other words, there's more of her. So because there's more of her, ultimately, again, there's appreciation. So that appreciation is split between the husband and the wife. That supports. When a woman is pregnant and she appreciates, so to speak, is that appreciation only to her husband, but ultimately, again, she doesn't get anything. Rather, I will say, what do we do? We evaluate, ultimately, again, the damage. By so, suppose this is what we speaking about before. So remember, again, there's damages. There's damages, and ultimately, there's tsar. So I will say, so just to be clear, Right? There, there's, there's a whole bunch of buckets of damages over here, right? When you injure another person, so again, there's all the regular buckets of damages, tsar, pain and suffering, nezek, damages, repoy, doctor's bills, boshas, humiliation, repoy, sheves, lost wages, all those things. In addition, if a person injured a pregnant woman and she miscarried, now there's this other bucket of payment called dmi velados. Now, we'll say, now, in addition to that, in addition to that, if she was pregnant and now she's no longer pregnant because she miscarried, there's also the loss of appreciation that she had just as a pregnant woman, independent of the fetus. So the Gemara says, so the Dmevalados, the value of the fetus, that goes to the husband. The Shevach Velados Cholkin. But ultimately, again, the appreciation, just due to the fact that she was pregnant, that gets split. To which the Gemara says, So isn't there not an inherent contradiction? It's not a contradiction. So this is interesting. It could be the following. That even in the Shidr of Shem there's a difference between a first pregnancy and subsequent pregnancies. When she's pregnant for the first time, we do not know how she's going to weather this. So because of that, there's an acute drop in her value when she's pregnant because you don't know Rahman also understand also understand that, that just historically, right, the percentages of women who died during childbirth, died during childbirth, actually, I will say, you know that there's a halacha, there's a halacha that we, we have a, a, a minog, I shouldn't say a minog, it's a minog, that when a woman gives birth to a child, she adds on another Shabbos candle. Beautiful minog. I will say, what's the source of that minog? The source of that minog, I will say, is that traditionally, when a woman gave birth, she missed lighting candles the first Shabbos of her life, of, of, of after giving birth, right? Why? Because she was bedbound. 
because she was bedbound, right? Childbirth was a much more, it's, it's a traumatic event now, but Baruch Hashem, today you could do it in a hospital, today you could do it with medication, today you could do it with epidurals, right? Today there's, there's a whole bunch of other science, but it was very common for a woman after she had given birth to be in bed for a prolonged amount of time, which often meant that she missed the first Shabbos after her child's birth from Hadlokas Neros. What's ta'alacha if a woman misses lighting candles? What's ta'alacha? There's a knas, there's a penalty, so that she shouldn't forget again that she lights an additional candle. So again, these concepts kind of merged, these concepts merged, and ultimately, again, it became that a woman lights, an, the minute is that a woman lights an additional candle for every child that's born. But I will say, but it just gives you an, a window into what childbirth, what, okay, no, it doesn't give us a window into what childbirth was like, but, but historically, historically, what it does is it gives us a window into just the, the, the even enhanced traumatic experience that it once was. So therefore, again, it could be that Rabbi Shalom talks about this idea that the value of a pregnant woman is diminished. That's when she's pregnant the first time, and we don't know how she's going to handle the pregnancy, and we don't know what's going to happen with childbirth. As opposed to once already she's undergone the process, once she's undergone the process, then halacha lemaisa, it could be that it's a different circumstance. Okay. So we'll say now, interestingly enough, the Rabbanan themselves, they don't make a distinction between the value of the fetus versus the general appreciation of a pregnant woman. They hold that that entire amount goes to the husband. So the Gemara says, what's their logic? Since the Pasuk talks about that she miscarried, why does the Pasuk need to say that she was pregnant? So the Gemara says, To teach us that the husband not only gets the value of the, of the miscarried fetus, but he also gets that he's entitled to the general appreciation from the pregnancy. What do you do with that hara? So the Gemara says, He needs it for the following drasha. That in general, both say, if a man injures a pregnant woman, if a man injures a pregnant woman, he's only chayiv if he delivered a blow, you know, near the area of the womb. So the doesn't have to be literally opposite the womb, the stomach. So we'll say what it means is you only chayiv for an injury where it's normal that ultimately again such an injury would impact the baby, would impact the fetus. That's when you're chayiv ultimately for causing the woman to miscarry. La fuke yad veregel de law. So we'll say for example. Let's say Ruvain injures a pregnant woman. He kicks her. He, right, he kicks her very hard in the ankle, right, and breaks her ankle. And as a result, she miscarries. Not not that she falls, right, and and it falls on herself, but she miscarries. So both say that would be the kind of injury where there would not be liability for the lost pregnancy. Why? Because a broken ankle should really have nothing to do with a miscarriage. In order to be chayiv, ultimately, again, for causing the woman to miscarriage, for damages, it has to be the type of injury where it makes sense that there's a correlation between this type of injury and the miscarriage. Okay, interesting halacha. So, so again, I just want to point out, halacha, I said, how do we paskin? So we paskin like the Tanakama, like the Rabbana, not like the Rabbana. So first of all, say, in halacha, we accept the premise that a pregnant woman has a higher value than a non-pregnant woman. So that's number one. So therefore, again, I will say in a case where a man injured a pregnant woman and caused her to miscarry, so in addition to all the damages that he has to pay her, he also has to pay the value of the lost pregnancy. And on a simple level, how do we value a lost pregnancy? So we take a simple shot with it, which is value of a pregnant woman 
right, versus value of a non-pregnant woman, the difference between those two is considered to be the value of the fetus, the value of the pregnancy, and that is the amount that ultimately, again, the perpetrator is obligated to pay to the husband. Beautiful. Says the Gemara, Neshtach Pater. So most of them, the Mishnah said, Halach if the pregnant woman was uh, an, an emancipated slave woman, right? Or ultimately, again, a convert. So I will say, so now remember again, then it's, the Mishnah says that the perpetrator is potter from paying the value of the lost pregnancy. So what, what does this mean? So I'm a rabbi. Lo hager, hager. This will say, now obviously we're talking about over here as a Let, Let's just illustrate this in the case of a Gioris, right? Rachel, Rachel is a convert. Rachel is a convert. So now what happens? Rachel is married to Ruvain, the convert. To Gerim. To Gerim. What happens now? So now Rachel becomes pregnant. Now after Rachel became pregnant, Ruvain died. Ruvain, I'm sorry, actually let's, let's stop. So now Rachel's, fine. So now Rabbi says like this. So now what happens? Shimon injures Rachel, causes her to miscarry. Causes her to miscarry. So now obviously, what's the halacha? Right, so now Shimon has to pay the value of the lost pregnancy to who? To Ruvain, the husband. Now what happens? Before ultimately, again, Shimon has a chance to pay, Mes HaGer, Ruvain, the Ger husband, dies. So what's Talacha? Kevan de Chavo Bechayager, Zacha Buhu Ger, the Kevan de Mes HaGer, Zacha Buhu Min HaGer. So I will say, so in this case now, by the time Shimon goes ahead and gets ready to pay, what happened? Right, so Ruvain's gone. Ruvain's God. Now we're dealing with the case over here where, again, he's a Ger, he has no offspring, he has no offspring, and as a Ger, there are no other relatives either. So this would be a case where ultimately, again, because there's no husband in the picture, and ultimately, again, there's no heirs to the husband, therefore what? Shimon the perpetrator is exempt from paying the amount. Aval, chaval bala acha misas ager, ihi bigavayu, However, however, if ultimately, again, Ruvain, the husband, died, right? Rachel became pregnant, Ruvain died, and then Shimon injured Ruvain, sorry, then Shimon injured Rachel, caused her to miscarry. In that case, there was no husband in the picture at the time of the damage. Rachel herself would acquire the rights to the payment. That's Rabbah. Amrav Chista. Amrav Chista says, Mari Dichi, who is the author of this ruling? Atu Vlados Tzrariniinu, Ultimately, again, our offspring just considered to be sorry, like a little bit again, like packages. and anyone could acquire it. Ella isay lebal zachali rachmana. Rather, both say ultimately. Here's the way this. Here's the way this works. If there is a husband in the picture, the husband gets the the husband gets the fine, the amount. So zachali rachmana lebal. If there is no husband in the picture. Ultimately, again, there's no payment. So, Rav Chista, so we'll say, so Rabba wants to make a distinction, ultimately, again, between was the Ger husband alive at the time of the damage or not? Rav Chista says, no. It's very simple. Was there a, is there a husband alive at the time of payment or not? If there's a husband alive at the time of payment, you give him the money. There is no husband alive at the time of the payment, then what? No payment. No payment. So let's analyze a bit more. Says the Gemara, good. Ultimately, Ruvain injures, Ruvain injures a woman, right, and ultimately causes her to miscarry. So, or I should say, Shimon, Shimon injures, Shimon injures Rachel, causes her to miscarry. What's Talacha? No Nezek Isha. So again, damages, damages you give to Rachel herself, to the woman herself. Udmei Labal. 
and the value of the lost offspring, that goes to the husband, to Ruvain. Ein habal, what happens if there's no Ruvain, right? Ruvain died, he's not in the picture. No sin Yarshav. Ultimately, again, you give to Ruvain's heirs, right? Right, ein, so I'm sorry, no sin Yarshav. Ein ha, uh, I'm sorry, ein habal, no sin Yarshav. Ein ha'isha, what happens if the woman's not in the picture? In other words, Rachel, let's say, died. So now again, you pay damages, no sin Yarshav. You ultimately give to her heirs. What happens if the woman in question is an emancipated maidservant or a gioras? Zacha. Ultimately, in these cases, the mazik, the damager, doesn't have to pay anything. says, what? I don't understand. Why, why would this be any different than our Mishnah, which we set up ultimately, again, it's talking about a case where Shimon injured Rachel while her convert husband, Reuven, was still alive, and therefore ultimately again, and then he died. So over here, this should be a case where ultimately again, Shimon injured Rachel at a time where her convert husband was alive, and then he died. So the other possibility is the Achar Misa Sager. The other possibility is it could be after, ultimately after her, husband, her convert husband died. Betani Zachsam. And ultimately, again, we should write that Allah Chomet says she's entitled to it. So Moses says, let me get Tanoi. So say that this whole thing is a machlokes Tanoi. Here we go. Basi Soshini says, Lager, Venis Arba Mimenu. So Moses says, a regular Jewish woman, Rachel's a regular Jewish woman, she marries a ger. Right, Ruben's a ger. Venis Arba, she becomes pregnant. Vechaval Baba Chayeha ger. And now Shimon comes and injures her and causes her to miscarry while her ger husband is still alive. No say lo de Vlados. So again, we'll say, what's that? Oh, Shimon has to pay Ruvay the value of the lost pregnancy. What happens ultimately again if, right, Shimon injured Rachel. Rachel was pregnant, but Ruvay had already passed away. So now Shimon, Shimon injures Rachel. She loses the pregnancy. What's the halacha? So the words, the Acha Misasagar, Tani Chada Chayiv, the Tani Chada Pater. One opinion says that Shimon is going to be Chayiv. One opinion that says that Shimon is going to be Pater. My love, Tanoi Ninu. So ultimately, again, so what do you see from here, What you see from here is that ultimately, again, when there is no husband in the picture because he died, there is a Machlokes Tanoi. There's Machlokes Tanoi about what you do regarding payment. The Rabba, Vadai Tanoi. According to Rabba, there's definitely a Machlokes Tanoi. El Ravchista, Mille Matanoi, but according to Ravchista, is this a Machlokes Tanoi or not? Because it could very well be that it's reflecting two different opinions. One is the opinion of the Rabbanon, and ultimately, again, one is the opinion of Shimon Riel. So if that's the case, why does it have to be a case after the husband died? Ultimately, again, if that's going to be the case, then right? even when the ger is alive, ultimately, again, she should be entitled to have. Mechayim is palga. When she's alive, ultimately again she gets half. The Then she should be entitled to the whole thing if he's no longer alive. The other possibility is Both reflective Yerub Shemuel. Kan b'shevach v'lados. Kan b'dmei v'lados. So I'll say. So remember again, when it comes to Shemuel, remember as opposed to the Rabbanon Rabbosai who only have one bucket of payment called d'mei v'lados. Shemuel himself had. Two different buckets of payments, which is there's Dmevalados, which is the value of the fetus, and what we call Shevach, Shevach Vlados, which is general pregnancy appreciation. 
The distinction between the two is that May Vlados ultimately again goes to the husband. Shevach Vlados, the woman gets to share in that as well. Amri, Amri says, Gemara says, Mishavach Vlados, Lishme Dme Vlados. Ultimately, again, from Shevach Vlados, we should be able to learn the halachos of Dme Vlados. And from Shemuel's position, we can learn out the Rabbanon. Amri law. He said no. Shevach Vlados, the Shaykha Yoda Begavayu, Zachia Bohu Bekulu. So we'll say ultimately again, when it comes to Shevach Vlados, when ultimately again, that's her, that includes her personal appreciation as well. So ultimately again, she has a Chilik in that. So maybe in the absence of the husband, she acquires everything. To me, Vlados, which she never has an entitlement to, perhaps again, therefore, even if he's not in the picture, she does not get that at all. So, so bottom line, bottom line, how do we paskin? So, so this is actually very interesting. This is actually very interesting. So the, the way the halacha will work is as follows. If there is a husband in the picture at the time that the damage occurred, then halacha lamaisa, then halacha lamaisa, the damager is obligated to go ahead and pay that husband if he's still alive, or ultimately again his heirs if he's no longer alive. If technically speaking there was no husband in the picture at the time the damage occurred, then technically speaking the damager is exempt from demevalados. Again, it's just a technicality. That's because, again, that, that penalty that, or that payment is only, is only assignable to a husband. So again, if the husband's in the picture at the time of the damage, it's paid to him or to his offspring, again, if, if he dies. But if there's no husband in the picture, then ultimately, again, no payment assigned. I will say, you also already know that anytime the Gemara launches into these discussions, ultimately, again, about Shevach Vlados, Demei Vlados, we don't really accept that distinction. Because remember, again, that distinction only works according to who? Reb Shem Gamliel. And we don't pass like Reb Shem Gamliel, we pass like the Rabbanon. Okay, so let's, let's go back to this. So now, now that the Gemara brought up some other interesting converts, so now that the Gemara brought up the convert case, right? So I'm saying, why do we bring up the convert case? Because in the convert case, I will say, if let's say again, Ruvain's married to Rachel, they're both converts, both converts, doesn't really matter that she's a convert in this case, right? Now, Shimon, right? Shimon comes along, injures Rachel, injures Rachel, and ultimately, again, she miscarries. So now, if Reuben is alive, Shimon has to go ahead and pay Reuben. What happens if Reuben's not alive? If Reuben's not alive. So now, if Reuben has children, then fine, he'll pay the kids. And what happens if Reuben doesn't have children? So both say, so remember again, the unique, unique status of a ger. What's the unique status of a ger? See, when it comes to a Jew from birth, there's one thing you could count on, which is, which is, he's related to someone, right? It may be distant, but you could always find a relative. With a ger, if a ger has biological children, those are his relatives. But if he does not have biological children, then technically speaking, there is no one to whom he is related. In which case, you could have a situation where therefore the damager wouldn't end up having to pay the demevalados. Okay, so based on the Marzazaz, boy mine rabieva savmi rabnachman. So let's listen to this. Rav Yehibas Saba asked the following question of Nachman. Here we go. Amachzik bishtarosav shalger mahu. So I will say, what about the following case? Listen to this. We'll call him Ruvain, right? Ruvain is a ger. Ruvain is a ger. Now Ruvain had lent money to Shimon, and he has a loan document. And in that loan document, ultimately again, so now Ruvain has a claim or a lien against Shimon's property. So now what happens? Ruvain dies. Ruvain dies. 
Reuven has no children. So they will say, what's Talacha now with the property of a ger who dies with no children? What's Talacha? Hefker. Hefker, which means anyone who wants can take them and seize them. So now Reuven dies. Reuven's a ger. Reuven dies, leaves behind no children. And now what happens? Shimon comes along and Shimon takes possession of those documents. That's a maxim b'shoz of Shalger Mahu. Kevan the maxik b'shtar adaita da'arahu the maxik uba'ara lo halachsik. So again, Shimon comes along and says, this is great. I'm going to take the shtaris. The shtar has a lien against, against land, right? So now I own the land. Now, of course, no, you don't, right? No, you don't. So his entire intention is to go ahead and seize the, seize the document as a way of becoming a talent of the land. But of course, that's not the way land ownership works. So the Mara says, Ushtara nami lokana. And we say ultimately, again, the Simeon didn't acquire the land. He also didn't acquire the piece of paper itself, right? Delav daite ashtara. Because ultimately, again, obviously, obviously, Shimon's intention is not to go ahead and inquire the piece of paper. Oh, Dilma, Taitiname Ashtara. Or maybe not. Maybe when Shimon comes along, he says, listen, as much as I'd love to acquire the land that's specified in this document, if I can't acquire the land, at least I'm going to acquire the piece of paper. Right? Because a piece of paper, a piece of parchment also has value. So the Gemara says, I will say, and I will see, Ani, 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 what good is a piece of paper? What are you going to use it as a bottle stopper? Amrle, Lutzer, Lutzer. Yeah, actually, yes. That's not hers. The, the paper itself still has an independent value. Again, even if the star is not really value, it doesn't really have a value because the star doesn't tell me to do anything, but the piece of paper itself could still act as a bottle stopper. So at least he'll acquire the piece of paper as a, as a bottle stopper. Amrle, Another very interesting case here. Watch this. So, we'll say, so again, we're just bringing this up now since we spoke about cases of a ger who died ultimately. Again, we're just bringing this up again. Another case, we'll say, which let's at least... So, so again, in the previous case, Ruvain the ger dies, doesn't leave behind any children. Shimon comes along, sees a loan document. In the loan document, ultimately, again, there's lien against property. So Shimon says, this is great. I'll take on the lien of property. Sorry, I'm, I'm using names repeatedly. You know, Shimon comes along, it's great. I'll take on the, I'll take on the lien of property. Obviously, picking up the star if someone else doesn't give you a lien on property. But what it does do is, it gives him a piece of paper. So you're now the proud new owner of a piece of parchment. What are you going to do with it? Whatever your heart pleases, right? But you do acquire the piece of parchment itself. Incredible. But so what about the next case? What about the following situation? So now, so now let's say again, we'll call him Ruvain. We'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain went ahead and lent money to Shimon. Shimon is a ger. Shimon is a convert. Shimon gave Ruvain collateral. Right? So now Ruvain has in his hand collateral from a ger. What happens now? Shimon dies. Shimon dies. So now ultimately, again, Ruvain has the collateral of a ger in his hand. Umeisager. Now watch this. Levi hears that Shimon the Ger died. And remember again, Shimon the Ger has no heirs. So Levi says, Levi runs into, runs into, runs into Ruben's house, grabs the collateral. Because the property ultimately again of a Ger who dies is half And I was like, we'll stop over here with this case. This is, this is a really good case. Sorry, again, a long daft today. Again, we'll stop over here for today. We'll say tremendous. We'll pick up with this last case. Shkoyach.